going back to the story you're telling yourself and asking yourself, if I keep telling myself this story, how does the story end? And then asking yourself, what is the story that's going to get me a little bit closer to the result I want as opposed to where I have been? Midlife Ladies. This is the Dear Midlife Podcast. Unapologetic girl talk that will help you remember who you are and figure out who in the hell you want to become. I'm Shelby Bybee, karaoke party queen, single mom, and an extrovert to a fault. And I'm Trinity Greenfield, a wild-haired woman full of sass, sparkle, and a heavy dose of black girl magic. So grab a glass and let's dive into the messy middle. So perhaps you know by now that I've struggled my whole life with this feeling that I am not worthy of love. So I am sure it's no surprise to our listener that I fell into a toxic relationship. And I stayed in that relationship for 16 years until one day I just realized I had spent so much time being accommodating to my spouse's needs to avoid an argument that I had lost myself. And I didn't know who I was or what made me happy anymore. This loving relationship that I thought I was in was really more of a facade. And now I know I'm not alone. And so many women find themselves in my shoes, being manipulated into believing they're in a loving relationship while slowly losing themselves without even realizing it. Our guest, Lucy Price, helps us identify the characteristics of a toxic or narcissistic relationship so we can come to our own truths and find a path forward. But this episode isn't only about the toxic relationship we find ourselves in. It's about reclaiming your power and finding yourself after you emerge from that relationship. So when I walked away from my relationship with my ex, I realized I had a lot of work to do to reclaim the relationship with myself. Man, I just didn't even know who I was. I didn't know. (laughs) It's strange, but I didn't know what I liked. I didn't even know where to start. So Lucy supports women in moving on from toxic or narcissistic relationships so that they can heal and fall madly in love with themselves and create the love and life they desire. She specializes in mindset, emotional intelligence, and relationship building skills. She talks about how to shift the story that you're telling about yourself and your life, how to become aware of subconscious beliefs, the seven layers of why, and micro-mindset changes that can lead to big results. So if you're out there and you know what I am feeling, you've been there, leave us a review. Tell us how much this podcast episode resonated with you. And when you do, this just helps us bring more light content to you. And now, without further ado, let's welcome our guest, Lucy Price. Thank you for being here, Lucy. Thank you so much for having me. It's such a pleasure. Yeah, we're excited to have you. And, you know, over the course of the last year since we've had this podcast, we've had a variety of different conversations around this particular topic. But I'm so eager to get your perspective on what is narcissism and really how do I know that I'm in a narcissistic relationship? 
Yeah, absolutely. So here's here's what I'll say about narcissism. I, I will say that I do think in our society nowadays, it is a buzzword that is being thrown around. And it's something to be mindful of because you can be in a relationship that is still manipulative, still abusive, but there is a difference between being in a narcissistic relationship, like an abusive narcissistic relationship and being in a relationship that is toxic or abusive in other ways. So the the simple, you know, quote unquote definition of, of being a narcissist is someone who essentially has an over-identified to themselves. They have a um, deep admiration from themselves. They have a, a blown up perspective on themselves, an egotistical, you know, perspective of themselves. But it is in such a way that they can't, they can't even see it. They can't even see that actually they have that blown up perception. They just think it is true. Like it, that is just the baseline. That is just what they believe to be true. That is like the simple um, or quickest definition that I I can give around narcissism. Of course, there's nuance to it, but I think the main thing I want to highlight is that it is it is a diagnosis. It is something that um, is you would go to a therapist and you would mm. be diagnosed by a therapist. I think it is something that is being a buzzword and thrown out it is something that if you feel like you've been in a narcissistic relationship you can go to a therapist and get support around or, or get input on but i do think that is something that is being thrown out in our society as a buzzword yeah so some of the symptoms are they there's symptoms of gaslighting there's symptoms of manipulation there's symptoms of them trying to make you believe that your reality is not true yeah. and that their reality is true and is the truth and oftentimes it is in correlation with the blown up perspective that they have about themselves and that they can do no wrong. And so then how does that differentiate itself from, say, an abusive relationship or what you, you called toxic previously? How do those differ? So the main thing that I see differ is that oftentimes it is their inability to see it. That, 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 that's one of the key differences I find is your inability, like the narcissist's inability to see themselves as right. a narcissist or as someone who has those tendencies. It's, and that's why I say it's a diagnosis because you, you can be someone who has this perspective of yourself and still think you're right, but also notice your faults or notice your mm-hmm. shortcomings. I think the difference is the inability to see that. Like oftentimes, I, I hear this in, in other pockets a lot. It's one of the traits of a narcissist is they wouldn't question if they were one. Right. And I'm like, think, are they going to yeah. go get diagnosed? <laughs> yeah. Right. right like right. that was baffling me too. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And, and it, yeah, it's difficult for them to even have the consideration that they might be. It's such a disconnect for them in their mind. Whereas someone who is perhaps just more has toxic tendencies or behavior they they notice some of their shortcomings or they notice some mm-hmm. areas in which they can grow and improve. However, they they focus on still trying to manipulate the system to benefit them. It's it's that mental disconnect I find. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And so I had a personal experience with that. And I think just hearing what you're saying, just for our listener out there, how that showed up in the relationship that I had was that when you have a conversation about some of these behaviors that you notice are having a negative impact on you and in creating negative feelings within you and you share those with the other party that is a narcissist, 
they will not, cannot have accountability to those behaviors. As a matter of fact, I think um, the person that I was in this relationship with would really just point the finger back at me and say, this is not my fault. This is your fault. If you didn't behave, you didn't do dumb shit, I think was the quote unquote that I used to love. If you didn't do dumb shit, I wouldn't be forced to react to your stupid Mm -hmm. behavior in this way. And so it's this, what I hear you saying, that lack of ability. And are there other ways that that plays out that are noticeable in, in a narcissistic relationship? What, what, what did you notice or what have you seen? Yeah. So so I was also in, in uh, a very harmful narcissistic uh, relationship, unfortunately, where both, both what you said in regards to if you weren't this way, or if you did this, um, the, the big thing that always came for me, if you weren't such a damn soul in distress, if you weren't so emotional, mm-hmm. then I wouldn't have to react this way, then this wouldn't be happening. So it is the, the conversation of if you weren't this, then this mm-hmm. wouldn't be happening. So I, that is definitely one of, I think, the signs that that might be happening in your relationship, that you might be in a relationship with someone who could potentially be a narcissist is those signs. The other thing I'll say is going backtracking on stories or back, or lying, catching them in lies consistently and, mm. and saying, well, we had a conversation about this and you said this. And they said, no, that never happened. That, that never occurred you're making that up, you're imagining that happen, trying to trick you of your memory, mm-hmm. trying to trick you of mm-hmm. your mental belief, what you know to be true. So catching, catching lies consistently or, or noticing gaps between what they're saying and what's actually happened. But again, not being willing to take accountability, not taking responsibility and not even acknowledging that maybe there was a disconnect. Because again, like one, something that can happen in toxic, really toxic relationship, but also a narcissistic abusive relationship is the manipulation of situations. But the, the narcissist always puts it back on the other person that if the other person didn't have this perspective or wasn't so emotional or, you know, could see things as they were, then this wouldn't be happening. So catching people in lie, lies uh, consistently is, is also, I would say, a red flag to look out for. If you're noticing that you're always catching mm. people out in lies, your partner out in lies, you're always catching them backtracking. You're or not, and maybe not even backtracking, but putting it on you. I would say that's another sign that there could be a yeah. narcissistic tendencies at least going on. Yeah, you know, we just, as you said earlier, Lucy, it, it seems like narcissism has become this buzzword, and yeah. you know, damn near everybody's a narcissist. <laughs> from the conversations that I have. So when we think about like true narcissism, right? And not somebody who's just an asshole or self-centered or has, you know, some of these other tendencies, I think it it becomes important for us to really truly be able to pinpoint and differentiate because as women, particularly as women in midlife, we love somebody, we think that we can fix this. And maybe... If you are dealing with somebody who's just, you know, got some asshole tendencies or somebody who's not self-aware or needs to do some personal growth and development, those things might be something they can fix. Hear me clear, ladies, you Mm -hmm. still can't fix them, but maybe they can fix them, right? And Mm -hmm. dig in and do some of that work where I feel like it's a little different when you're talking about someone who is a true 
narcissist. Yeah. And so I would love if there's tips that you have that can really just shine the light on kind of this versus that. And, um, you know, and, and how many people are we talking about? Are there any statistics out there on, um, narcissists and, and, and how many we might be dealing with in the population? Because right now I feel like 75% of all people are narcissists. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think that part of the reason why I wanted to bring up at the start of the conversation was that, that it's become such a buzzword is because I do think it's so nuanced and frankly, I do think it's kind of hard to pin down there. And that's why I say, really, I think this is something that has to be looked at by someone who is, who is a professional, who is trained to look for yeah. these things and can spot these things. Because I mean, using Google narcissists, then it can be, you know, they're preoccupied with their self image, and they're not willing to change. And, and it's, there's such broad definitions. And so I think that it's become such a buzzword, maybe in part because of that, because mm -hmm. there, there are, there is so much perhaps nuance to what the definition is. But I will say that um, the, the this versus that, I'm going to round about <laughs> talk about okay. things, but I want to say that I think that in general, there is a narrative that women can save people or that is our role. Our role is to be that nurturer is to be that person who I can love you, know, you out of this. Boo. <laughs> I can love you out of this, you know, or, and, and then also be themselves out later of if, if I was just good enough, if yeah. I was lovable enough, then they would have changed or then they would have stayed. And I think that mentality is, is problematic, not just to women, to men as well, but, but primarily in this particular case, there's such a strong narrative in our society of women swooping in to, to change a man or, you know, I'll be the one he changes for. And it's just mm -hmm. not a helpful thinking process because at the end of the day, we can only control ourselves. We can only, we can only live in a way that's true and authentic for us. And someone has to want to change. The other person has to want to change. So let me, let me ask you a question as well. So for the this versus that, are you asking in terms of like, how can you discern whether there are things in the relationship that can change if someone is a narcissist or not? You know, I just, I, I guess it's just this idea to me that we're so quick to label somebody as a narcissist when really and truly they maybe just are selfish or an asshole or, you know, mm -hmm. the tendencies that they have. Like, is there a tipping point that it tips over from I am just an asshole who's really selfish and only thinks about myself is there this tipping point that it really, they're displaying true narcissistic behaviors? And, mm -hmm. you know, just to me, that's more yeah. of an area of concern. Like my first husband, he was just an asshole. That was it. He was an yeah. asshole. And if I said something wrong, he was just going to be a dick about it. And then we're going to have to fight. And then we're going to have to, I'm going to have to walk on eggshells because I don't want to hear his mouth. At the end of the day, I don't truly believe he was a narcissist. I just truly believe he was an yeah. absolute asshole he was who an did asshole. not know how to be yeah. people. And what I hear you saying, though, Trin, is that you feel like that was a choice. And what I think maybe the differentiator is 
in what I hear you saying, Lucy, is that narcissism doesn't seem to be a choice. It seems to be an unconscious behavior that is exhibited and you can get a diagnosis, but to Trinity's point, am I going to get a diagnosis? Because right. I probably don't even realize right. that no. this is who right. I am because I'm so wrapped up in my own inflated image of who I am as a person that I believe this image versus what is reality. And I think that's what can be, um, you know, confusing for the person that is in that situation with the relate with that relationship in a relationship with that person, the victim, if you want to use that phraseology. And I think that the other person that Trinity is describing probably has some sort of an awareness, Trinity. I don't know. I don't. Oh yeah, he would be like, "Oh, I'm an asshole." He'd be like, "Yeah, I'm. I'm an asshole. I'm a dick. So don't fuck around because you're gonna find out if if you keep Mm -hmm. it going, right? You know." And that was his own internal mechanism to want to have a need to control, and he was aware of that, and maybe that's really the differentiator. But you know, here's what I also notice about this this conversation is that uh, there is this in innate tendency of the the female partner in those relationships to try to fix. And what happened to me, and I don't want to, you know, create a narrative for every woman that's ever been in these types of relationships. But what I've noticed is the impact of this effort for me, maybe not trying to fix um, the party, the other party in my relationship, but really trying to fix the environment in which we operated so that we could avoid these types of ongoing, just blow ups um, Mm -hmm. all the time we had children. So, you know, create, how do I, I was trying to manipulate my environment so that we created an environment of safety for our, my family, for myself, for my children. And in that space, I worked so hard to manipulate my own environment, to create this space of safety, I lost myself mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. in order to create that space of safety, I had to completely become a completely different person. I couldn't lean mm. into my own authenticity uh, because everything I did was a trigger for the narcissism. And so, mm-hmm. you know, I'd love to hear from your perspective, what is the ongoing impact that your clients face from these relationships? And then how are you coaching them to recognize and remove themselves from these yeah. types of situations, be it a narcissistic relationship or a relationship like Trinity was in with just somebody that's a, an asshole. So whether it's a toxic mm-hmm. or abusive or narcissistic relationship alike, how do women get out of these types of situations? Yeah, absolutely. So, so I think you just to go back, I think you summed it up beautifully, Selby, in terms of the awareness factor, because for example, the difference of asshole and, and narcissism, narcissism is going to show up in other relationships too. It's going to show mm-hmm. up in other areas of life too. Whereas being an asshole might only show up in regards to mm-hmm. romantic relationships. It might not show up at work when, mm-hmm. you know, they're taking Uh, they're in meetings or they're getting feedback or they have to make decisions. It might just be the romantic relationship of, of how they talk to women, for example. Right. So I think, I think that's part of it is the awareness factor, the self-awareness factor, but also how does it show up in their other relationships? Are they an asshole to their mother? Are they an asshole to their father? Are they an asshole to their friends? Or is it just to you, your, their partner? 
So I think that's part of it as well. Like narcissism isn't just going to show up in romantic relationships. It's going to show up in, in other relationships as well. So in regards to the, the post of, of getting out of a narcissistic relationship or a toxic relationship and building yourself up again, I think one of the main things I see with my clients is they start to believe that the other person's narrative is true rather yeah. than the reality or rather than their own self-perception of self. And so when, when you are in close relationship with somebody, sharing a home with somebody and hearing day in, day out that it's your fault, you're not good enough, you're never going to be good enough. This is why this is happening. It all has to do with you. If you were better, if you were more beautiful, if you were smarter, if you were more productive, if you cared this way, you start to believe that's true after a while. Unless you have such a strong resilience of self or a a very strong perspective from somewhere else, it seeps in and you start to identify with somebody else's narrative of who you are. And oftentimes that's not even the narrative that's true. That's the narrative that they've created and tried to force upon you in a way so that it, it can serve them. Yeah. And whatever objectives they have. So part of what I do with my clients is very first building the awareness of what story are you telling yourself about yourself and who did you get that story from? So when, when we're little kids, you know, like taking us way, way back from, from um, midlife. But when we are little kids, we don't have all these preconceived notions about ourselves. We start to develop it from, and we start to get it impressed upon us by other people. And that happens all throughout our lives into our romantic relationships. And so it's, it's really understanding, like, what is your identity of yourself? And when did this identity begin? Mm. Because oftentimes, sometimes this identity might have begun in the previous relationship, but it might have begun from the family that they grew up in. It, it's really about starting to figure out where did this identity come in from. So that's one of the very first things I do is to start to build awareness about what what perspectives you have about yourself, what do you believe about yourself. And then the the second phrase that I break my clients into is is that serving you? Is that helping you? Does that feel good? Is that getting you closer to where you want to be or what you want in life? And we start to get curious. We start to question what is this narrative actually doing? Because the way that I, I work with my clients around mindset is the idea that our thoughts create our feelings, which create our actions, which create our pattern of behavior. Yes. So if you have the thought of I'm not good enough, that's going to feel really bad. And that might lead you to shut down or to go into relationships that reflect back to you that not enoughness or try to change people that might create then a pattern of having these cycles of relationships where they're not healthy for you. They don't bring you, they don't rise you up as a, as a person, as a woman. And so we start to really get the curiosity and the understanding of how, not only what thoughts you're thinking about yourself, but how are these thoughts affecting your feelings, your beliefs, your, your actions. And then as a result, your results in life. Mm-hmm. So that that is the beginning processes. And I would say if anyone's coming out of a, a toxic relationship or a narcissistic or abusive relationship, or they're just trying to find themselves post those experiences, it's, it's get really curious about what what do you believe about yourself? Is that helping you? And if not, what do you think? What what could you think that would lead you to feel differently and act differently and start to train your brain to think those 
I love that. I'm curious if you, it's kind of the chicken and the egg, right? Do you coach your clients to connect with what they're thinking based off of like, I'm feeling bad in this moment, so what am I thinking? Or to try to catch the thoughts that are creating the feelings first. I don't know which is easier because it feels like we're kind of on autoplay with our thoughts and we might not yeah. catch that as easily as the, I feel like crying or putting my fist through a wall right now. What am I thinking about? Yeah, so it is a little bit chicken and the egg, but I will say that as as people, we tend to have easier access to one or the other. So mm-hmm. sometimes it is also based on the individual. Got it. So if you if you if you have a relationship with your feelings where you you think you're too emotional and you shouldn't feel a certain way, then you're going to start to shut that down, and you might not even know how you feel if that's something you've consistently done year after year after mm-hmm. year. And so then, then we might tackle it by, by getting into the thoughts first and then connecting to the feelings. But also on the flip side of that, I've worked with women who are so deeply connected to their feelings and don't really know what they're thinking. They, they feel like almost stuck and they don't know what to think or they don't know what to think about themselves or they're, you know, jumbled. And so then we work that way. So it, it, I think it can work either way. Personally, I've seen it work either way. Um, my, I, I don't think if I, I necessarily have a preferred method, but I tend to find that with my clients, it's easier to access the thoughts okay. and then with the thoughts, have a conversation with the feelings. Mm, I like that. You know, I find that's an interesting conversation because, you know, I think it was my personal experience in this relationship that I had normalized what was happening to me. Whether that mm-hmm. was my ex-husband placing this narrative in my head, like all couples fight or um, society often normalizes, well, the man should be in control of the household or whatever are those narratives. Mm-hmm. So in my instance, I think it was really more the feeling mm-hmm. that I needed to connect with because oftentimes I, I would reflect back on my time in that relationship and say, you know, I don't know that my thoughts about the relationship holistically were really Mm -hmm. negative, but it was really, and it is hard. I think sometimes in these relationships because of the gaslighting and because you are being dictated what you should be feeling. That was a common thing that happened in a narcissistic relationship where they dismiss what you're actually feeling. And they replace that by saying you're a a worry wart or you're overreacting in these types of situations. And so they create a mindset or a thought pattern in your, in your head through this manipulation that causes you to believe that this is a normal Mm -hmm. situation But inside you're feeling this cannot actually be healthy. I feel, I feel like shit every day. I have a pit in my stomach that I have to sit in my car for five minutes and reckon with before I walk in the door to my house because I don't know who I'm coming home to at night. And so for me, it was really asking myself 
if, if this is normal, is this the way I want to feel in my um, own relationship in my own home? And when I had to answer that question for myself, the answer was no, I don't want to feel sick, physically sick to my stomach every time I have to walk in my door. And then you have to, from there, also then reconcile the mindset like, okay, well, if I'm feeling this way, is this in fact actually normal? Mm-hmm. Is it normal for me not to feel at home in my own home? Right. Is it so? Yeah. Are my thoughts actually correct in this type of situation? <laughs> So it's kind of, you know, I think when we think about shifting our mindset, we think about thinking about um, putting on a positive mindset. But in this situation, I really had to reconcile what is in fact actually going on here in this exact situation. And my mindset then had to focus in on what is reality and, Mm -hmm. and really hone in on my feelings. And so it's kind of an interesting an interesting topic of conversation. You start to get into something that I think is really juicy, which is what have we already normalized in our Mm -hmm. relationships, in our society? And what have we normalized for women that we just accepted as the way things are, instead of asking ourselves, what do we want it to be? Yes. So for example, my partner and I, my, my current partner and I, we don't argue like we, we were, I remember we were sitting having some, some dinner with friends one time and they were, they said to us, you know how you just have to have those blow up arguments with each other. Sometimes you just got to scream at each other and, and tell each other you hate each other and you just need to get it out. And then my partner, and I looked at each other and we're like, no, <laughs> like, no, we, we, we don't, we don't we don't feel like we need to do that. We don't think that that's our normal. That's not, and I've been in relationships where that has been the normal. I, I, I've been on both sides of it. I've been yeah. in relationships where I've, I've really like fought to try and be heard and try and be validated and loved and cared for and, and for things to change and for it to be blow up arguments night after night after night. And I've been in relationships where we barely raise our voices to each other. And I think it's the question of what have you normalized for yourself and what have you deemed to be okay in, in, in your relationship for yourself as well. And I think that as a society, we have written off behaviors so much for, for men of just like, oh, well, you know, yeah. he's, this is, this is him, you know, this is what all men are like. That's locker know, room talk. Boys will be boys. Yeah. All of that. Boys shit. will be boys. Yeah, <laughs> right. exactly. And it, and it's frankly bullshit and it doesn't help help. I personally don't believe it helps anybody. Yeah. I, it, it, it's something that is very harmful. And, and I, and I see it affect a lot of women so, so much because going back to what you said, Shelby, it, it's sometimes you might even not know, you might not even know that it's an issue because it has been normalized. And because you have perhaps in that relationship been conditioned to view it as normal And so you might have that feeling come up of something doesn't feel right, but this is what everybody else says is normal. This is just normal. This is just the way things are. Why do I feel so bad if this is how it's supposed to be or how it is? And so, and that's where I kind of say like, sometimes one is more accessible than the other because someone might have that feeling of this doesn't feel right. I don't want to feel like this anymore. And then I also have times you have that thought of, I don't actually think this is right. And, and so I think it's however you access it for yourself, but whether you think it or feel it, 
if you think or feel something isn't right, chances are it's because there's something not right about it. And you've got to trust your gut and you've got to trust your intuition. Yeah. I, and I love that. I feel like, you know, that's kind of one of those mindset shifts that especially now listener that you've heard us talk about this one that you can make one that you can ask yourself to start to say, huh, you know, I, I do want something that's different. This isn't normal. This doesn't feel good. But I think sometimes that making mindset changes, they can be hard, especially if you haven't been exposed to the questions to ask yourself or you haven't been exposed to new ways of thinking. So I'm curious if there are mm-hmm. other kind of micro mindset changes that our listeners could tune into that might lead to better results. Yeah. So so in terms of question, you, you mentioned like maybe people haven't had the questions to ask themselves. I think one of the questions that I would encourage listeners to ask themselves is, personally, how do I want to feel? And then if you are in a relationship, how do I want to feel in my relationship? What do I want the culture of my relationship to be? And then from that place, start to get curious, what is something that I can do or I can step into to feel whatever the feeling is that you want to feel? And what is something that I can step into or I can do within my relationship, not necessarily to change the other person, but to start to change the culture of the relationship. So that's where I get into my clients, like clients who are still in relationships or or even couples who are coming to me and they're working on their relationship. We start to talk about the culture. What do you want the values of your culture to be? And then we start to teach the skill sets of how to develop that culture because oftentimes we are not taught about relationships or how to, you know, I never had a class on this when I was in school and I know for certain that 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 wasn't in the education system. And so there hasn't been courses on communication or conflict resolution or boundary setting. And so we have to teach those skills. These are skills and learn. You don't have to be born a good communicator. It is possible to learn. So so that's the, the um, first thing I want to say there. And then in addition with the micro mindset changes is I like to play with a very simple technique, which is talking to yourself of being in the process of rather than I am this or I am that or this is this way or this is that way. So when we are, when we are, when we feel stuck, and when we feel stuck in a in a place in our life or in a pattern in our relationship, it's easy to have that definitive thought of this is the way or this is just how men are, or this is just how this relationship is going to be, or I am just not lovable, or I am unworthy, or whatever the thought is. Mm -hmm. And so I like to have the micro shift of, okay, can you speak, I am in the process of creating self love for myself, I am in the process of developing self worthiness, I'm in the process of learning healthy relationship skills. So even just to get the the mind out of static into motion, into moving forward, into growth, I think it's so helpful. And it's one of those, um, what I, what I joke as stupid, simple things, stupid, simple things that you can do that you might not even think to do. But if you do it, if you do it daily, if you allow it to compound, you see massive change in your life. And I've seen it within myself. I've seen it in my clients. It is something that I I really believe works. So that's the first thing. And then the second thing um, I would say is with the, the micro changes is what is the better thinking, feeling, thought? So when I say better thinking, feeling thought, it's it's the thought that is going to feel a little bit better to your nervous system, and it's going to get you a little bit closer to what it is that you want. So taking the same um, 
uh, sentiment, the same thought or belief of I am not lovable, what the, the better thinking feeling thought could just simply be, okay, what if someone out in the world loves me? I believe one person out in the world loves me. I believe that every human has inherent worth and love and I'm a human. And so therefore I have inherent worth and love. Like the thought that gets you a little bit closer, that feels a little bit better to where you want to go um, and what you want, what beliefs you want to achieve for yourself. So those are two techniques that I think can be applied daily that are really accessible. And I, I love to pass off to my clients, but kind of going back to the story you're telling yourself, and then asking yourself, if I keep telling myself this story, how does the story end? And then asking yourself, what is the story that's going to get me a little bit closer to the result I want, as opposed to where I have been? Those are great. I love those. Thank you. Mm-hmm. I like that too. And I think that the challenge that I have often faced with really becoming aware of my own subconscious narratives is that that's just what they are. They're subconscious narratives, right? Mm -hmm. So you might be doing things in a certain way and not getting the results that you want, but not realizing even that it is this old narrative that you've tucked away in the back of your brain somewhere that's driving your actions and behaviors and then therefore your results. So how do you even unpack, uncover, discover whatever word you choose to use these narratives that are running our lives in the background. I always think of those soft, that software, like, you know, that's on your computer, that's like running yeah. your computer in the background, yeah. you know, and you don't even know that it's there. So what, what, how do we uncover these things? Well, so with the analogy of the software, I use that analogy too. And what I, I love to say to uh, my clients is you update your software, you know, you get updates on your computer. And, and the software is, is consistently tweaking and, and, and growing in a way that helps your computer process and, and makes it simpler or faster or easier or whatever it happens to be. So the, I think a lot of people look at the subconscious brain and think to themselves, potentially, I can't change that. This is just what's going on in my subconscious. And so the first thing I want to say is you can. There is ways to access it with our conscious mind. And there's ways that our subconscious comes up in other, in just in other ways. And one of those, for example, is dreams, you know, recording your dreams and getting curious about your dreams and what you're, you're processing in your sleep. Because when you sleep and you, and your brain has that time to um, essentially incorporate and integrate every, every experience from the day, things from years ago, but it's the time for the brain to kind of process without the conscious brain taking over. So I think that analyzing dreams in a way or getting curious about dreams is, is one way to access that. But in terms of daily life, I would say there's a technique I like to use called the seven layers of why, which I think is really helpful in getting underneath the subconscious beliefs. How that works is you start with the first belief. And that first belief is, is for example, like I'm just going to stick with worthiness, <laughs> um, which is I don't feel worthy. I don't feel worthy of love. It's asking yourself the question, why seven times? And it's the idea that when you get to the seventh reason why you're starting to hit on the subconscious belief that is actually present. So you could say, I don't feel worthy of love. And you might say, why? Like the question, okay, why? First layer of seven layers of why? Because my partner says I'm not worthy of love. Okay, why? You know, and you go deeper and deeper in each layer until you get to about layer seven. 
which is where more of the subconscious beliefs come up of what you're thinking and what you're saying to yourself. So that's one technique, one practice that I would um, invite the listeners to try is what conscious beliefs you have about yourself. Go seven layers deep with it. Keep asking yourself why. And you're going to start to hit the subconscious beliefs that you have about yourself. So that's, that's one of the ways to utilize it more in the day, more with the conscious brain. Thank you. Yeah, I love that. And then too, I would love, I know right before we got into our conversation today, we were talking about this idea of stigma. And so I think that sometimes it's these stigmas that drive these subconscious beliefs that we have. For example, you know, I was very young when I started working in my existing day profession and that is doing corporate training. So I was standing in front of a classroom at the age of 25, the ripe young age of 25 with zero corporate experience in my life, trying to convince people that I had more knowledge than they did. And, you know, that does spark some of these negative narratives. I'm so young. I don't know what I'm talking about. Mm -hmm. How could they possibly believe who I am? What, what value do I offer this audience? And so, I think a lot, a lot of times it's that stigma that we carry around about ourselves and often that can be related to age. It can be related to a variety of things that drive these subconscious beliefs. So how do you feel that we can address these stigmas that we, we, that are born really in society, maybe in our own brains so that we can overcome those and continue to live into our own authentic selves? Yeah, so I think that even just using that example, right, of, of being 25 being in, in corporate and having that, having to prove that you know enough or, or being able to stand in what your role is within that company, I think that comes up both in career for women and dating for women. It comes up in all areas of life. No matter what, I feel like women face this, this paradox of you have to be young enough, but not too young and, and old right. enough, but not too old. And you have to be pretty enough and not too pretty, but right. you have to be put together enough, but not too much. You know, there's, there's, yep. there's strong so much. enough, but not too strong. I feel like is another one, you know, independent, yeah. but too not strong. Too then you're a bitch. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And so I think that what, what I, my very initial answer is just the, the knowing that, you don't have to subscribe to that belief system because it's a system that is inherently flawed. Mm -hmm. There's no winning in that system. So it's almost asking you to subscribe to a different belief system. And that with the stigma, you have to choose for yourself if you want to be more aligned with the stigma or aligned with who you are and with finding the value in who you are and honoring who you are and advocating for who you are. I think that part, part of the stigma, I think that it's, it's a dual issue. It's, it's one of, in between ourselves, but it's also us as a society saying that this stigma is flawed and that there is no winning with this because it is inherently against women. <laughs> it's, it's, it's essentially putting down women. It's yeah. putting down women for being too young, putting down women for being too old, putting down women for being too pretty, putting down women for not being pretty enough, putting down women for being too smart, putting down women for being not smart enough. There's no winning there. And so it's both us as a society saying, calling it out and pushing back against it 
and one of the one of the most accessible ways to push against that system is to change it within ourselves and decide for ourselves that it doesn't have to be true. And that, yes, you might come up against it, but again, rooting back into your own belief of that is theirs. That is their belief. That's that I don't need to have that belief about myself. I do not need to subscribe to that. I can choose something different for me. And I can start to change the narrative by changing the narrative for myself and advocating for myself wherever it is I am at in life, in, in how yes. I feel about myself. Yeah, no, I totally agree. And I think it takes a little yeah. time to get there and understanding and realizing who you are, you know, going back to Shelby's point, it's so easy through this stuff to lose yourself and you forget, you forget who you are, mm-hmm. you forget what you love, you forget what lights you up. And so being able to rediscover those things in order to walk into that space that you deserve. Yeah. And I think it's, it's also giving yourself so much compassion that, that you are going to receive messages like this and that, you know, there, there are people profiting in the, in the beauty industry, billions and billions uh, of dollars preying on this fear and this mindset. Yeah. And, and, and I, so I, so essentially like, um, I think the, the main point I want to make here is that this is, there's a system and the, there, there are people predominantly men benefiting off of this system. Yes. And so it's having compassion for yourself and compassion that you are living in a society where there are people benefiting off of you hating yourself. Mm. Like that's, that's mm. kind of what I want to say mm. there. And, and you, you get to choose for yourself something different that, that you can benefit off of loving yourself and finding yourself again. And I think one of, one of the ways I encourage my clients to find themselves again is to ask themselves, what brings you pleasure? What brings you joy? Love and that. just asking like, what, what do you actually like? What actually brings you joy in life? And, and that can be mm-hmm. as simple as, you know, a warm cup of coffee on a cold winter night to, uh, to flying to France and, and right. eating caviar. Like it could be anything, but, but what, do you, what brings you joy? What, what brings you pleasure? What, what makes your skin tingle a little bit? What sets your heart on fire? And, and starting to refine those things. And it, and it might feel challenging at first. If, if you've been in, in an abusive relationship where they've stripped away your identity to have a benefit them, then there might not be an answer right away. And so find it in the small moment. Find it in the, oh, I enjoyed seeing that movie last night. Oh, yeah. I noticed that I enjoyed seeing that movie last night. What did I enjoy about it? You know, and again, getting curious, asking yourself the question. Definitely the moody popcorn. That is my. (laughs) (laughs) It's my guilty pleasure too. (laughs) So good. Loads of butter. Anyway, Lucy, I have really benefited from your wisdom today. Thank you so much for being here. And if our listener wanted to find you, where could she look? Yeah. So I would say that I'm most active over on Instagram. So you can find me at lucy.m as in Michaela.price. Or you can go onto my website, shiftyourstory.net, and that has all of my social links and a way to contact me as well. Mm-hmm. Right. Perfect. Well, thank you so much for sharing your wisdom and tips and techniques so that we can really 
emerge from these toxic situations and live more fully as ourselves. So I, I know that's a journey. <laughs> I'm on it. And I know a lot of our, our listeners out there are on the same journey. And so I'm confident that we're all going to benefit from the wisdom you shared today. Thank you very much. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Oh my gosh, that episode was so good, so rich and full of such valuable information. And particularly this episode with Lucy Price really resonated with me. And number one, I think it validated, you know, where I am in life, but also I think it reflects that I still have a little bit of work to do on myself. But here are some key takeaways that I learned from our conversation with Lucy. Number one, it is so easy to lose ourselves in these toxic relationships. And healing starts with simple awareness. And you need to stop and ask yourself, what are you feeling and thinking? And then ask, is that serving you and helping you get where you wanna be? Number two, your thoughts create your feelings. Your feelings drive your actions and patterns of behavior, and therefore, your results. So if you find yourself in this pattern of toxic relationships, you first have to change the way that you think about yourself. That one, whoo, right there in the heart. Number three, sometimes we have to step back and ask ourselves, what behaviors has society normalized as acceptable in men? And then really get in touch with your own interests and needs. Is this the way that you want to be treated? Four, and I love this one too. Ask yourself the question, what do I want the culture of my relationship to feel like? Then work to develop the skills to create the culture you desire in your relationship. You have the power, girl. You have the power. And five, don't speak in definitives. Talk about being in the process of... These micro mindset shifts help you slowly go from these negative feelings of I'm unworthy to, you know, I'm in the process of discovering my worth or I'm in the process of learning to love myself. And just taking this one small change can move your mind from this place where it's static to gaining momentum and forward growth. Again, if you loved this episode with Lucy Price, leave us a review, share our episode with a friend, And we can't wait to meet you right here next week in the middle.